Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. My name is Chris, and it is a joy to be back with you again, worshiping here. I bring my greetings from your brothers and sisters at Christ Community Church in Kennesaw, as well as the students involved in RUF at Kennesaw State University. And let me personally say thank you for your prayers and support for our work to reach students for Christ and to see them equipped to serve his kingdom. If you would, and have a Bible, would you please turn to Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. We'll be looking at Colossians 3, 1 through 11. And if you're able to, would you please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Jew, Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. The title of my message this morning is, What Are You Wearing? And many years ago, uh, the church I attended when I was in high school, they did a summer camp, you know, Bible camp for kids in the neighborhood, and they picked these verses as our theme verse uh, for that summer. And so, you know, this being kind of the late 90s, early 2000s, we designed some cool shirts with that expression, what are you wearing? But, you know, because of the timing, it was like, you know, in that cool like, graffiti style, you know, looked like very punk rock. At least we thought it was cool back then. It's just already out of date, already out of fashion. But we'd go around to the kids and we'd say, what are you wearing? And we taught them to say things like, the love of God, or the love of Christ, or kindness, or forgiveness, or compassion. Trying to encourage them in their understanding that faith in Jesus is not just words we say, but plays itself out in the way we live our life, in the way we interact with one another. That it should be as obvious to others as the clothes we wear. It should be defining to who we are. And so that's the question I want to start with this morning. What defines you? Uh, for some of you in this room, maybe you went to the University of Georgia or Georgia Tech, so, you know, that might be a a quick thing you introduce yourself with, Big Dogs fan or Yellow Jackets fan. I once knew a man who had a child at both schools at the same time, and one year they were playing each other. So he brought a, a hat for each team, and whoever had the ball, he would put that hat on, trying to show his support for both. 
but maybe it's something more important. Hopefully, if you are a confessing believer, you define yourself by your faith in Jesus. Many in our world today, though, are pushing different ways to define ourselves. We make sexuality a key defining factor, or ethnicity as a key defining factor. Maybe it's habits or patterns in your life that seek to define you. And if we're being honest, even as those who confess faith in Jesus, as our text will point us to today, that there are even some sins that we struggle with more than most. There are some sins that just seek to really define us. Some sins more than others for each of us. Sometimes it's lust. Sometimes it's anger or greed or coveting or pride. That they can feel so crushing in the ways they seem to control us so completely in spite of our best efforts. Brothers and sisters, the key truth I want you to take away today as we study this passage, and I hope it is an encouragement to you, is that Christ has authority over what defines us. Let's say that all together. Christ has authority over what defines us. We're going to look at this passage in two ways. We're going to look at putting off the old self and putting on the new self. The Apostle Paul, as he's writing to the Colossian church, he uses this language of putting off and putting on to define our new identity in Christ. That it should be this all-defining aspect of our lives. He starts it off, right, by saying in verse 1, if then you've been raised with Christ... Then seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That your new identity in Christ should be just as dramatic as as dying and being resurrected. Something that usually doesn't happen to us every single day. It should be that all-defining reality for us. Or trying to think of maybe an analogy of sorts. Uh, You know, when I got married, when when my wife and I got engaged and we were getting ready for the wedding, you know, I had that that moment before where I was like, wow, like, this is going to be a big change in my life. (laughs) Uh, You know, obviously I got to start thinking different. It's not just about me. I got to think about someone else now, that two are becoming one. And obviously we have that moment where we go up, we say our vows, we are legally married, and before the eyes of God we are married, right, on that moment. And yet it's going to take a lifetime of me learning how to love my wife well. That yes, I loved her deeply on that day, and yet every single day I need to seek to learn how to love her well. That in the same way, when you put your faith in Jesus, you are justified before God once and for all. And yet we have a lifetime of sanctification of learning what it means to seek him, to seek the things that are above, to set our minds on things that are above. That it is both a head and a heart action. That it will engage our intellect. We'll have to think about it. We're going to need to learn more about who God is and what he wants for his people. And we're going to need to learn how to love him well. As St. Augustine Augustine famously said, it's not that we don't have love, but it's that our loves are often disordered. When we put our faith in Jesus, he sets our loves right. 
that he orders our loves to the things that are truly valuable, to the things that are above and not on earthly things. So what does it look like? What does Paul want us to put off these earthly ways, these sinful ways? What are the things that cause you to lose focus on Christ? Well, it looks like Paul highlights two things here, starting in verse 5. He highlights uh, sinful attitudes, sinful actions that tend to cause us to lose our focus on Christ. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Here he's honing in on some of the big sinful tendencies we fall for. I mean, as they say in the media, sex sells. And there's a reason, because it is so tempting. The reality is that sexual immorality, impurity, these things will squeeze our spiritual life. They will completely suffocate it. They will kill out any desire for the Lord. But lest we think that that's the only sin, or it's some unforgivable sin, Paul calls our attention to many other sinful attitudes and actions that tend to dominate us in ways that feel like they define us. He highlights covetousness and compares it to idolatry. And I love Paul on covetousness. In Romans, he says, man, I wouldn't even know that was a sin if God's law hadn't revealed it to me. That we need God sometimes to reveal our own hearts because Sins define us in so many ways that we don't even realize how much they define our life. I mean, that's the great truth of Scripture, that it confronts us in ways that we cannot often see in ourselves. To covet is to look on your neighbor's possessions, to look on your neighbor's life, and to inordinately desire it, and to despise your neighbor for what they have. Why do they have that when I don't? And the law is very clear. It can be anything from your neighbor's cattle, or maybe in modern parlance, their car, to your neighbor's spouse, or children, or home, or career. Why do they seem to have an easy job and make tons of money when I'm working so hard and I hate it and I'm barely getting by? Why does their spouse seem to be so easy and they seem so in love when we seem to argue and struggle all the time? It's not fair. They shouldn't have that, and I should. Ultimately, this reveals a heart of idolatry, a heart that sees uh, our own comfort and success and control of our life as the true God that we really want, to put our hope in those things instead of the Lord Jesus, who has died for us to bring us to this new life. So hence why Paul uses such strong language here to put off this, and even more strongly, to put it to death. John Owen, the famous theologian, said, if you aren't killing sin, sin is killing you. That if we aren't active, brothers and sisters, in in seeking the Lord to, to reveal our hearts, to reveal the idolatries and sins that seem to define us and control us, so that it can be put to death in Christ then it really will strangle us. It really will kill us. And it will bring us to the ultimate death apart from Christ. 
that we must be uh, on guard and on watch for these things in our life. And I love that he moves on even further to say, look, it's not just maybe some of these bigger things that are very clearly sins at times, but it's things like verse 8, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. I mean, let's be honest. How often do you feel completely flooded (laughs) by anger at times? That's one of those often, you know, forgivable sins. Because you can keep it pretty internal. You can keep your anger hidden from others. You don't have to admit it. You can let that simmer, that resentment, that bitterness. And it can just be between you and God, essentially. It never has to be confessed like some of these other sins that are so obvious and clear. And yet Paul is calling us out on that. That anger is destructive to a life in Christ. That anger will cause you to lose focus on the things that are above. The things that will truly give you life in Christ. He highlights something else here at the end of the passage, which may tend to draw our focus away from Christ and the things that are above. And these are not sinful in in and of themselves, but what I would call our natural identities. He highlights uh, ethnicity. He highlights a religious background. He highlights economic condition there in verse 11. That God has made us male and female. God has made some black and some white. God has uh, brought you into families, some blessed with an abundance and others not so much. And that these things are not sinful in and of themselves, and yet a, a deep pridefulness about our natural identities can also distract us from the things that are above, cause us to lose focus on Christ. And so that's why he wants us to draw us into this greater truth that no matter what background you come from, that there is unity to be found in Christ Jesus. And in the body of Christ, we should reflect that community. When our churches seem to be more concerned about defending their natural identities instead of seeking unity to one another, that we are actually holding on to our old ways. I was thinking about this tendency of us to hold on to our old ways and you know, I was thinking about uh, this fall when I was getting out my winter clothes. And, you know, sometimes you maybe had a busy summer and didn't work out as much as you wanted to. And you put on your fall clothes and you realize these kind of don't fit as well as they used to. Uh, and there's always that moment of like, all right, should I donate it? Should I give it away? Should I try to sell it? Or should I hold on to it? And I think we all have that tendency, right? We, we want to hold on to things for maybe sentimental reasons, hold on to them for, uh, you know, some maybe future dream we have, uh, hold on to it for fear and anxiety. Then in a similar way, we hold on to our sinful tendencies. We hold on to our pride in our natural identities, and we don't want to let them go. That just maybe they will fit right again. And Paul is saying, if your identity is in Christ, they will never fit right again. That they will, you should never feel 100% comfortable when you sin if Christ is in your life. That you should never feel too comfortable putting pride in a natural identity. Because Christ should be the defining reality of your life. What are 
you wearing this morning? You know, I had a friend who, uh, she had a sister who was adopted, and I like the way she explained this because I thought it really helped understand this idea of putting on a new identity and a life of sanctification. She said, you know, we adopted my sister, and uh, like legally on paper, she had a family. But when she was first adopted, she really struggled to understand what that meant. She had grown up for so long without a family. She had so much trauma, so many wounds, such a difficult history before. It took much time to realize just how loved she was. It took so much time to realize that she had a new identity that was safe in the family and that wasn't going to be taken away. That in so many ways, because of our sins, (laughs) we are slow to embrace our new identity in Christ. Because of our our struggles and our doubts that the world often feeds, we would often turn back to the idolatry of covetousness and sexual immorality and even anger instead of run to the throne of grace. But if you have put your faith in Jesus, if he has come into your life, right, he wants you to know that in this new identity, there is love and there is grace to be found. And what a powerful foundation this should be for our lives, that we don't have to constantly be looking around for identities to try on. We don't constantly have to be looking to the culture to define it for us that we have an identity in Christ that will not be moved. Working with college students, we see this struggle all the time, this tendency to look to one another or to look to the culture to define who they are. And one of the joys of my job is to get to share with them the good news, that Jesus is here to give you a new identity and one that is so much more freeing than anything the world can offer you. So if that's the putting off, let's look now at the putting on of the new self. The putting on of the new self. I had a friend who, uh, he was in the army, and he said, you know, there's there's kind of this weird phenomenon where when I meet other men or women who served at some point, uh, there's kind of, there's an instant connection of sorts. Because there's something about knowing that sense of duty Uh, that sense of service, and knowing that we all wore the uniform at some point that bonds us together, even if we didn't serve in the same unit or anything like that. And I thought, man, that's how the kingdom of God should look, (laughs) that when we meet brothers and sisters who have the Holy Spirit in them, that we should have this sense of bond and connection because we have all been covered In Christ Jesus, we've been given this new identity that brings us into a new family, into a new body, that we should be seeking greater and greater unity with one another. That Christ has the authority to define us as a new creation, and he has the power to remake you and give you these new clothes, this new identity. So what does this look like? It should look like more and more growing in our understanding of who we now are in Christ. Right, as he said in the very few uh, beginning verses here, right, to, to set our minds on the things that are above, to set our minds on Christ Jesus. But as I mentioned earlier, it's going to take some intellectual work. We need to know the things of God in his word. We need to learn about the character of God. 
We shouldn't be going around saying, you know, yeah, I'm a believer in Jesus and have no idea what that means, right? We want to be familiar with the things of God so that we can represent this new identity well. But that also plays out in the way we live our life. If you jump over to verse 12, a little bit past the section I read earlier, where it says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. That this new identity should display itself in our life in a sense of humility and in a sense of love for those around us. That God's people should be known for their love. This was Jesus' high priestly prayer, that his disciples would be known for their love for one another, first and foremost, that the world would look on the community of God's people and say, there's a love there that I can't explain by natural means. There's a compassion there that I don't find other places. That this should be the new identity we are putting on every day as we seek to be faithful to the Lord. And that means that it's not in our natural tendencies. A friend of mine once explained this well when it came to the fruit of the Spirit. He said, you know, uh, some, some of us are gifted with maybe... Uh, Excessive patience. <laughs> Some of us are gifted maybe with excessive kindness. But how do you know if it's really the work of God when it's the things that aren't natural to you that you are growing in? When it's uh, the compassion that you often feel like you lack, that the Lord is growing in you. The patience that you feel like you often lack, that the Lord is growing in you. That this is the work of the Holy Spirit to bring it about in our life. And not just... Uh, our natural gifting apart from God. That this is how we gain a true and whole sense of who we are. That it's not the natural identities that define us now. So the single young woman is not primarily defined by her biological sex or whether she is married, but by Christ's presence in her life. The underemployed or unemployed young man is no longer primarily defined by his economic condition, but by Christ. The retired person is no longer defined by their ability to economically contribute to the world, but by Christ's presence in their life. And we know that Paul is thinking about these things because in the book of Colossians, and even more so in the book of Philemon, we see this issue over uh, a member of the congregation named Onesimus, who was an enslaved person to another member in the congregation. And yet Paul specifically refers to him as a full member of the body. And in Philemon, he encourages right, the man who owned Onesimus to ultimately set him free as a reflection of what Christ has done in his life. That the natural identities that would often separate us should break down in our new identity in Christ. This also plays out in maybe whether you grew up in church, or maybe this is your very first time in a church building. Because he refers to the uncircumcised and the circumcised. 
We could refer to that as the very religious or the, the irreligious all their life before now. That whether you know much about Scripture or this is the first time you're hearing the good news, that Jesus is calling you today to, to put on his righteousness, to put your faith in him and him alone, to let him do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And that's why Paul can say, Christ, who is our life, because we can ultimately never know ourselves truly apart from him. John Calvin made this clear in his famous book, The Institutes of the Christian Religion, saying there's two kinds of knowledge in the world. There's the knowledge of God and the knowledge of self. And the truth is we don't really know ourselves unless God reveals it to us. That we need God to make clear who he has made us to be and who he is growing us more and more in our sanctification. We like to say that Jesus will change you, and that's true. But he's not changing you into someone else. No, he's changing you into your true self, the image of God that he wants you to be. That sometimes we think of the new identity in Christ as kind of like an acid wash. It just kind of wipes away everything, and you know we're all kind of turned into like stereotypes of what angels look or something. But no, that's not true at all. Actually, like the kingdom of God is diverse, and God is more glorified by the diversity in it. As Paul highlights there in verse 11, right? It, it's Greeks and Jews, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but all of those are coming together to worship Christ. That it's, it's the unity in the midst of the diversity that gives God even more glory. That God is at work in who he made you to be, but he's at work to make you more and more who he yearns and wants you to be. To look more and more in the image of his son at work in you. And that ultimately this should play out in community. That the followers of Jesus who have knowledge of God and experience of God, it translates in the way we love one another, and the way we love the community outside. That this is what it looks like to set our minds and our hearts and the things that are above, to put on the new self day by day. And so let me ask you one more time, what are you wearing this morning? Is it the righteousness of Christ that he has given you? Or is it a natural identity that you've put much pride into? Is it a sinful tendency that seems to define you completely? Well, to close, I'd like to reference Zechariah chapter 3, where Zechariah the prophet has this vision of heaven where he sees the high priest from Jerusalem standing before the Lord, and he's covered in what the word says in our English translation, uh, dirty rags, filthy rags, which in the original, it's much more gross than that. And it tells us that Satan is there, and he's accusing the high priest you know, look at, look at this filthy rags. How dare you stand before God? You deserve his judgment. Who could love you in all your filthy rags? And yet the angel of the Lord comes. And instead of bringing judgment upon the high priest, takes his dirty rags and puts on him clean clothes. It's an image of what Christ has done for us, to take our filthy rags, to put on his righteousness in our place to cleanse us of our sins, to give us a new identity, 
So when the world looks upon us and says, what are you wearing? We can say, it's Christ. <laughs> it's Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the good news that though the world may try to define us in so many ways, Lord, that our sins seek to define us, Lord, that you are more powerful than all of these things, and that by your death and resurrection, Lord, you have given us new life. You have clothed us in our, your righteousness. So, Lord, we pray that we would live that out day by day, that we would grow in our sanctification on how to represent your work in us more and more to the world around us. Lord, that that would come out in love and compassion and greater unity in the body. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.